Welcome to Voices of Baltimore. My name is Zion Chambers, and I am a strength ambassador here at Mission Fit. We're creating a platform for discussion for the youth, by the youth, to tell our stories. We are people from Baltimore. We understand Baltimore. Everyone hears the ugly, but here we're going to dive into the truth, raw and uncut, to talk about it all, Baltimore in its entirety, and strengthen, uplift, and unite the voices of our community. We hope you join the discussion. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Voices of Baltimore, episode two. Uh, today, we are having a special guest, Mr. Jeff Blake, co-founder of Mission Fit, as well as the former executive director. We also have Corey Harris, as well as Wes Jemison, on this podcast. And um, we, we, we hope you uh, enjoy this conversation that we're having. Just enlighten your day and welcome to Voices of Baltimore. So hello, everyone. Just like Zion said, my name is Corey Harris. Uh, I am 18 years old. And the first question for you, Mr. Jeff, is what made you start Mission Fit? That is a great question. I'll, I'll also say my age. My name is Jeffrey Blake. I'm 41 years young. And uh, what made me start Mission Fit was not so much just a me thing. All, all the, the best ideas typically aren't just one person. It was me working at a really nice gym in Baltimore County and doing quite well, but not feeling very fulfilled. So I was doing quite well with money and clientele and helping them get to um, their goals, you know, whether that be fat loss or getting muscle ups like Coach West did and things like that. But uh, where I wasn't feeling fulfilled is I didn't feel like I was making as much difference in the world as I could. So that feeling was inside kicking around. And then Miss Wendy, Wendy Wallach, she went on vacation and her daughter asked her, they're all sitting around maybe a campfire or something like that. And her daughter asked her what she would do if she could do anything with her time. And then her mom, Miss Wendy said, I think I'd start a nonprofit, uh, not profit gym for Baltimore City Youth to to get them some of the resources that I know some of these Baltimore County kids have. And then her daughter said, okay, well then do it <laughs> because you're retired and you have a little bit extra time, and a little bit extra money. So she comes in the gym and she says, Hey, do you want to maybe coach one class a week? I'm thinking about starting this and I'm not a coach one class a week type of guy. I'm all, all in type of guy. So I said, I will coach one class a week, which in my mind meant I already knew I was going to show up every day and do whatever I needed to do for Mission Pit to be a success, even though most of the time I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Also, You're welcome, Corey. my next question. Mm-hmm. So you said that you started like with Miss Wendy, like one day a week. What day was that? That's a great question. So I'm sure I I remember a picture where we all showed up in the old gym. Now you guys are in the new gym, but we all showed up in the old gym, which is the first space we had that was directly over top of the body shop office, which was so loud for them. 
for us, it was great. But for them, we were like right on top. And we showed up and it was, I know it was a, a weekday because I remember I just uh, typically mornings I would coach at this gym and then I'd have the afternoons off and then I'd come back in the evening. So I know it was a weekday and the place was just a mess. Like it had wood floors, but there was carpet nails sticking out everywhere. Like you couldn't walk through the place without getting tetanus. There's holes in the walls, like everything like that. So that's when I realized, really realized I was going to need to show up more often. So that day, a group of us showed up and we just started working on the space. When we first opened up for classes, I think we were probably um, having classes a couple days a week. And those were typically coming from the Margaret Brent Elementary School. And I think those were Tuesday, Thursday. So that's when, you know, once all the, the hard work was done, then we got to do the fun stuff was working with kids and, and teaching them how to be more comfortable in their bodies and getting stronger and more aware and everything like that. So I believe it just started on two days a week, but we always knew we wanted it to be open more than that, but I'm sure that's where we started. Okay, Mr. Jeff, um, everything starts off in steps, of course. You also have to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, brainstorm things and um, you got to start at a you know, small level then all the way up to what we have now, this, this great building that we have and the, the beautiful mm -hmm. uh, staff that we have as well. So what steps did you take exactly um, as far as, you know, the um, professional side of it, as well as just getting mm -hmm. people to come to the gym, um, just bringing awareness to the name? Uh, what, what steps were those? That's a great question. And there's, let's go step by step and in different stages. So the first part was, okay, now we've made a great little gym space. How do we get people? So Miss Wendy and I, and when I say people, I mean the kids and then the volunteers to help us because we knew at some points we would have small classes that would be really easy for one coach. And then we also could imagine that if we got a bigger group of kids, two or three coaches or volunteers could be way more useful just to keeping things orderly and, and moving at a good speed. So for volunteers, uh, we put things out on Craigslist. We put out just personal feelers in our own networks of people we knew to see who I was very fortunate to be tied in to a very good group of coaches and athletic people. So, you know, the more skilled coaches could completely lead a class and the more athletic people that could definitely demo an exercise and be there as a good role model. They might not lead the class. They didn't have that skill, but they certainly had some great use. So we just started reaching out with our personal networks, people we, we knew. Um, for kids, that was harder, believe it or not. We didn't know where to look at first. So we started reaching out. We found the gym or the physical education teacher from Margaret Brent Elementary that started kids coming in. And then we re reached out to a lot of the different religious leaders around our area. We just thought like, where are the bigger orga organizations that might know of a group of kids that could use our coaching? So that's where we went for kids as well as different community coaches, whether it be for a football team, lacrosse, some of the other nonprofits like, hey, other nonprofit that does uh, work with computers, like 
it's great that you are teaching kids how to code and getting them familiar with the tech that is going to be leading all the industries eventually. But do they have a physical practice and, you know, kind of built some bridges in that way? That's the way we kind of first started building the volunteers that came in who eventually some of them started turning into paid coaches and some stayed volunteers. And that's how we got more kids with building our finances, something Coach Wes is totally familiar with. That was another scary one that we just didn't know how or what to do. Like it was, we we knew we should probably throw some events, right? Because everybody likes just showing up for an event. Like, is there going to be some food and drinks? Yep, I'm going to show up. So we're like, okay, we'll, we'll do some things like that. So we set up some events with some really great barbecue teams making the bar- barbecue for us. And we might have some drinks for the adults because that, uh, that kind of helps. And believe it or not, drinks also help uh, loosen up their wallets a little bit. So they might donate to Mission Fit. So that wasn't, uh, that wasn't too bad, even though drinking and socializing like that doesn't uh, necessarily align with our, mm-hmm. our uh, healthy lifestyle. It, it did help with getting some donations in the beginning. And then we started researching, finding grants and things like that and partners who might be able to pay, which that is, that's another big challenge. I think our first challenge was finding kids. Our second challenge was figuring out who thinks that having healthy kids in Baltimore is a valuable thing. To us, it was like a no brainer, but like what organizations that might be able to help fund us so that we can do this for a long amount of time. What, you know, there are some foundations that want to support the arts. There are some that want to support technology. Who's going to take a bet on this little gym mission fit and give it some money to help make a sustainable path for Baltimore's youth to be healthier. So that was like our next struggle. Uh, Coach West, would you say the struggle's over? Is it still going? It's always a struggle, for sure. Always a struggle, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing to, to realize. What One of my last struggles, and then I'll kind of pass it on, or one of my last steps I had to take was my wife, then girlfriend, maybe fiance. She'll kill me for not remembering that time period. But uh, my now wife got a travel job in Maui, which is where I live now. And she came out here and then said, we could probably stay here for a while. I think I got a solid gig going. And I was like, well, I can't leave Mission Fit right now. It's not ready. It, it, it can't sustain itself just, just yet. If I just left now, it would fall apart. Um, so the last challenge or the last steps was creating the systems and the framework so that everything that was in my head and Miss Wendy's head and the board's head could be turned into systems that anybody could understand. And so that uh, Mr. Joshua and Mr. West could come in and not walk into a complete mess, but walk into a set of systems where they, then they knew how to grow things from there. So that was like the last steps I took with Mission Fit before uh, they took it to the, the skyrocketing levels that they have since. 
Okay. So basically what I'm hearing is, is basically a group of people that had interest in helping the community. Um, just basically trying to, you know, um, give people an opportunity to not only get fit, but also get other support systems as well. Like you said, you mentioned that you went to different organizations that had even computer coding and things of that nature. So mm-hmm. it's not only also, it's not only about, you know, working out, but also about, um, you know, life lessons, life skills that actually, you know, help in, in the real world situations. So that's, that's one yeah. thing I do with about mission fit. Um, my next question, um, with, with every successful story, there's always struggles, you know, that's, that's, that's just a life lesson. That's just, uh, the reality of things. I just want to know what type of struggles did you go through when, um, you know, co-founding Mission Fit? Um, were they, were, were they personal things? Were they just things as far as financial issues or, you know, just, just give us the rundown about that. That's a, that's a great question that I have never actually, maybe I've told Co- Coach West and a couple other friends about some of the struggles I was going through um, and other things I've probably kept a secret. I've, I've become a bit more open about since, but at the time, some of the struggles that often I was just slapped in the face was, was, hey, I have to do this thing or the organization will fail, and I don't know how to do the thing. <laughs> that happened a lot. Like, you know, going to the, the different establishments in Baltimore and just making sure that our, our 501c3 certification was up to date. I'm like, it, j- just to, to take it back a couple steps, what got me into Mission Fit was being into fitness. Before fitness, I was a musician. Before being a musician, I actually thought I was a bit of a failure because I had never done anything that I cared enough about to succeed at. I was always working some low paying jobs and uh, not getting very good mentorship in those jobs. And I was often quitting them or getting fired from them. And it's when I got into music, being a musician and starting to tour, I was like, oh, wait, I'm a good business person. I'm, I'm good at this. I just needed to, to do it for something I really, really cared about. So when I was a musician, I was always faced with, okay, we need to get to the next step as a band, or I need to get to the next step as a player. I don't know how, so I've got to figure it out. So that's been like a common theme. And then I get into fitness and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm now a fit guy, but what next? I guess I want to coach classes. Okay. I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? So I got mentored uh, by some people at uh, Krav Maga, Maryland, and a couple of different CrossFit gyms and anything they couldn't teach me. I had to kind of figure it out myself a lot of the time. Like, how do I run a personal training business? I've got to figure this out. So when it came to Mission Fit, it was having to do that same process of admit that I don't know exactly what I'm doing, but I I know that what I'm doing is really important, not for myself, but for other people. And that was often a struggle just getting through that, if that makes sense, because it's just a new set of problems. It, It wasn't the 
set of problems I had faced as a musician. It wasn't the set of problems I had faced as a personal trainer. It was me doing a new thing, being the executive director of a nonprofit. And again, having all the passion of why I was doing it, but not always knowing how. And what got me through those struggles were buddies like Wes and Parth and Will and Miss Wendy, some of my uh friends who I could just bounce ideas off of. And this is where you realize that even though it may at certain points look like I was reason of part of the success of Mission Fit, anytime you see somebody successful, realize that they had a network around them or that they were learning from other people who had done it before them. And that is a great deal. Uh, of why they're as successful as they are. So it, it can help you in that way, because if you ever get to that point where you don't know how to do something, you can say to yourself, I know somebody else out there has, so I can learn from them. And if it isn't a direct mentorship role, the internet is a beautiful thing. You have access to almost every uh, interview of a CEO out there. So if you know Zion wants to be a CEO and he doesn't know how to start, there's there's some tracks there. So don't ever let those things that are your struggles hold you where you were. It's a real good explanation of um, of how you basically just you know get into a a world of of um, community skills and just basically you know helping the community and things of that nature. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. And I also want to note, like, you know, we're here together with Corey, Zion, and Wes. And, like, you guys are each other's support systems, you know? Like, you guys can be that for each other as well as if you ever need a resource, I'm always here for you. It's a – it is – it is valuable to, to build your networks of really great people who, who want to support you. And that is, if anything, that is the common thread that has got me through every single struggle I've had is networks of people. You know, when I was struggling with COVID lockdown and I like people a lot, I one day realized I was in a big funk and I don't get in funks. I'm Mr. Positive. I, I, I help other people out of funks, but one day I had to call coach West up and be like, dude, I'm in a funk. I'm in, I'm in like a deep hole. I think I'm depressed. And funny enough, the second I said that, I was like, okay, I don't feel that anymore because I've just, I've shared that. It's not all on me anymore. And we just talked a little bit and I felt a heck of a lot better. So that if we could look at the common thread of how we get through struggles it's not always us that does it. It's the, the, the good people around us that we can trust. Okay. So this is my question for you. Have you ever gotten to a place where you thought you couldn't go any further and where you wanted to stop? Did you ever want to stop? So like, have you ever like kept on going, like let's say perhaps with mission fit or something else. Mm-hmm. Have you ever like, went so far and you just feel as though like stuff is not coming in a place how you wanted it to did you ever Mm -hmm. want to stop yeah definitely so the times i've wanted to to stop is when 
I, I was meeting up with resistance when I was meeting up with resistance either inside myself or outside in the world. And my inner voice was starting to say, TB, you, you, can't, you can't do this. You're not qualified to do this. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm right. <laughs> and what got me out of that was me saying, well, can I point to other times in my life where I've been stuck on something and I've gotten through it? Yeah, I've got, I've got some of those. Yeah, I've, I've got some of those. And then if I couldn't find something immediately, I could also ask myself, have there been other people who have been in my situation who felt absolutely stuck and they found their way out of it? And I could almost always point to a yes. You know, if we take this to the, to the gym talk, we hit plateaus, like let's say your back squat. And I'll also talk about comparison in a second and how it's not very useful thing to do always to compare yourself to others. But when I started weight training, I was skinnier than I am now. I know, hold back your shock spaces. I was even skinnier than this. And I wasn't very strong. I was really fast. I was very explosive. Um, but I was not just strong, strong. And that bothered the heck out of me. So this is a struggle. I'm like, I'm here right now. I know darn well that I'm not very strong. And I don't know darn very well that I'm pretty skinny. Uh, do I know how to get out of this? And then I say to myself, nope, I, I, I don't know how to do this. So then I just start looking at it tracks and, and people's successes of getting stronger. And then I'm like, okay, a barbell or kettlebell, some heavy weights is probably the way to go. So I start moving some heavy weights and then months go by and I'm getting stronger and I'm getting bigger and I'm bigger and stronger and I'm able to move more weights, but then I hit a plateau. And at a certain point when you hit a plateau, it does make you think, especially when you're beginning, like, oh, is this it? Like, is this as far as I'm going to go. And you just realize you can't get to the next step by doing the same thing that you were doing. So you have to make a pivot or a change. And this is just the experience that I learned from learning from others who have got a great tradition in either success in business or success in strength training or whatever it may be. So with all those times that I've come up to a point where I just felt like I couldn't go anymore. I'm like, okay, how does this need to change? My goal isn't changing. I still want to be bigger and stronger, but what I'm doing isn't working anymore. Why isn't it working? What might I be able to do to, uh, to blow through this plateau? Wow. Thank you for uh, citing that with me. And also like, just from you, I learned not to never give up. So basically to keep on pushing with everything that I go through, because I seen how you actually just moved and started a whole new life. Yeah. Started a whole new life. Hit the reset button on me, coach. 
That's right. <laughs> you did. That's right. And you didn't give up out there. You just kept on going. And look, we're on a podcast right now. So I actually That's have right. one more question. Sure thing. Okay. So I, I feel like you touched on it, but let's get a little deeper into it. So in your experience when you were in Baltimore, mm-hmm. what, what are the most important problems facing out, facing people? Part of it, you know, I, I am, Wes and I were just talking the other day about the, the audio book uh, that Barack Obama read. And there's, there's a little bit of a hope problem sometimes in Baltimore. And that is one thing that I never give up hope. But sometimes I see as, as we have our ups and downs, sometimes I do see the, the grips of hopelessness because sometimes, you know, we're on the up and up and sometimes we slide backwards. And what I'd say, the, the, the reason there might be hopelessness is because people are seeing some uh, failures of, of, of generations ahead, or even they're seeing the challenges of the generations before them and thinking that because that's the way Baltimore was then, Baltimore has to be that way. Like Baltimore has to be tough. Baltimore has to be rough and tumble. And it, it, it has to be a slippery slope that I can barely get out of. And I see Baltimore as a place of some beautiful networks, some beautiful initiatives that can, and I believe will make it the place that people don't want to get out of, where they can build themselves up right where they are because they have the resources that they need. And that's the the thing that I would say might be some of the biggest challenges is if we don't have any hope that the beautiful humans of Baltimore right now are going to get the resources they need or that the future won't get the resources they need, then people are going to be just very much stuck at that plateau that we, we mentioned earlier. So I think that hope and resources are two of the, the, the main things. Um, I think that technology and new leadership will also help as well. And I'm curious just because I have escaped to a, a, a sunnier land called Maui, what you think the things that Baltimore needs to grow are? I feel as though yeah. uh, in Baltimore, what do we need to grow on is just, I would say, getting along with one another Like at this point. Mm-hmm. Because it's getting like a little bit out of hand. And also police and stuff like that that's going on around mm-hmm. in the whole like world. But I would say yeah. uh, coming in contact with your community, um, getting like, like I said, get like to know people a little bit more. Because some people may have like a story like us, but you never will know it because you don't want to talk to them. Or you mm-hmm. look at them from the outside in and you never want to really listen. And you judge mm-hmm. a book by its color. So, and that's how, like, and also I would say about 
the community is not a lot of people that live in the community actually come out and go into the community and try to like help different things. It's just that one section of people. And then that's the people that everyone hates because they want the community to be much better. Then they just don't mm-hmm. see the look that it could be way much better if you just come apart and like be with us. But they just have a mindset and they're stuck on different things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like just the main things that I would say Baltimore needs just to improve. And it's like just getting better with their communities, also getting better to know people. And that, that's I'll say that that's it for me. Anything from you, Coach Wes? It's a great question. Um, I think what you said about um, just learning to interact peacefully and with love is a, is a great start. Um, to me, I think it takes conversation and dialogue, not unlike this one here. Um, mm-hmm. I think listening is a skill that people don't have. Um, I think just like paying attention and listening to each other is, um, is rare and it leads to people feeling seen, feeling like they belong. Um, and I think all too many of us feel a little bit alone and feel like our issues aren't seen and aren't heard and that we're alone with our issues. So like Jeff mentioned earlier, having a team and, and feeling like you're part of, part of something goes a long way. Um, and there's always a team behind an individual. And um, I wanna just go back to something you said, uh, Jeff, before you mentioned some of the problems in Baltimore of, of um, I think you said hopelessness. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe one other, one other thing, but, um, just in your, like in your personal life, maybe outside, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about mission fit. Have you, mm-hmm. you know, cause you come from a different place than Baltimore. Um, mm-hmm. have you experienced hopelessness on, on your end? Um, is that something that you have? I, I totally have. So we, before the, uh, the cameras and the audio started rolling, we talked a little bit about my past. And uh, yeah, I, I did hit a place of hopelessness. And when there is a place of hopelessness, there is often violence towards oneself or towards others present. There is sadness and pain that will make you do things that you ordinarily wouldn't do for me my not hopeless ah, maybe it was hopelessness my my pain points that I internalized and didn't know how to process were in middle school I lost my father it was a little bit worse than that because while my dad was in the hospital for his first brain tumor operation uh, our house got struck by lightning and burned down so I didn't have a house and then I lost my dad afterwards and while I was in middle school, I uh, also came to a point where what had made me a good student before that, my creativity and my, my quickness was at that point, they were switching to a model that was a little bit more just fact memorization, which is not my thing, <laughs> 100% not my thing. I can remember some things. But uh, they're, they're not the 
the important things. Like I can remember that a, uh, a platypus, a male platypus has poisonous spurs on its back feet. But if, you know, I got to study for the test, I'm like, I have no idea what you just said. That's already gone. Um, so useless facts don't count in what I can remember. But uh, when that happened, I, I definitely hit a point of hopelessness because um, I have lost my dad. I've lost my childhood house, which did get built back eventually, but just was never quite the same once you lose something like that. And then now I've also gone from being a good student, from being what other people viewed as quote unquote, a smart kid. Now I'm a troubled kid. Now I'm a, a kid with learning uh, disadvantages and now I'm behind everybody else, which then results in what I can identify now as hopelessness. But at the time, I just remember being angry and, and sad, but I couldn't process that sadness in a way because I was just too angry, just too many emotions. So I did that hopelessness led me to lots of fighting dangerous behavior to myself, including lots of drug use and just not caring about myself or others. And the way out of that hopelessness was finding something to hold on to, which for me was music. A lot of people get into drugs because of music. I actually got out of drugs because of music, because I realized I was really good at something and that I did have a future that was worth, you know, having, I had a purpose at that point. I was kind of bouncing around with no purpose. So anytime you hit a point of hopelessness, it's typically because you also can't see far enough into the future to know that there's a purpose for you in this world. And when you're floating like that, it's a, it's a bad place. Like I said, violence to myself, violence to others. Like I just didn't care about anything. So you know, looking back now, I can see all this clear as day, but when I was going through it, um, nothing seemed to cut through besides the two things that helped me get out of addiction and then start on a path to success. We're thinking about what my father would think about me if he could see me, like if he was up on a, a cloud at that time, he'd have been really sad to see his son doing that bad. And that like snapped me out of it. And then after that, once I started to build these small layers of success, I was proving to myself that I was worth something and I did have purpose and I could uh, come out of anything if I wanted to, which I did in turn come out of. So my story is different because I grew up in a rural part of, of Baltimore. I mean, of, of Maryland, excuse me. But surprisingly enough, that place that I grew up in did have a lot of, of drug use because there was a lot of people that just felt so disconnected and hopeless out there and didn't feel connected to anything bigger than themselves. And like some of my childhood best friends, most of them, you know, despite being from beautiful, idyllic Carroll County, most of them were addicted to drugs. Uh, most of them went to prison at certain points. Uh, two are dead. One is an international bank robber. That's for real. Another is a murderer who's not never going to see the light of day again. And this is all from this sweet little town 
in Carroll County. So I didn't have the the struggles of Baltimore, but, and I'd kind of like to hear about what kind of adversity you guys have faced and how you're overcoming it. Because when we can see in other people that adversity doesn't look like just one thing, like adversity doesn't exist only in Baltimore City, Maryland. It exists in India. It exists in Carroll County, Maryland. It exists everywhere. It looks different. But typically, it's because people have come up against something that they think is bigger than them, and they're not connected enough with a group of people that will help them get through that thing. So for you guys, what examples, even if it's not a personal example, because I know you're both rock stars, but if uh, you could see some of the struggles around you, how, how would you describe the adversity that you you see around you and what are some ways you think people could get out of that adversity? And I'll go with uh, Corey first and I will give Zion a chance to answer. So in adversity around right now, um, I would say is uh, the opioid uh, crisis. So mm -hmm. you see a lot of people right now or you may not know, you may know someone that has been doing opioids or uh, just recently may got off of them. But a uh, way that I would say that can help it, I feel as though, so this is how I feel. I feel like no one can actually help it. They have to help themselves. Like, mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, they're not going to want to do something that you want them to do. They're going to have to get ready themselves in order for it to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's like, I would say that's like my adversity right now. Like as growing up right now, I actually learned a lot more about those things such as uh, drugs, opioids, and like alcohol and all that stuff and that I really didn't know when I was a kid. And just looking mm -hmm. around, just saying, like, okay, that looks cool. Like, everyone does it because they're cool. To seeing, like, what's actually happening right now with people that's not having a job. They can't function. They wake up in the morning and they feel sick. Like, they mm -hmm. can't do anything to get off of it. And that's, like, it doesn't... First, it becomes a uh, a want, Everyone mm -hmm. want one. They want to go do drugs. They want to take a pill or something, and then it becomes a need because mm -hmm. you can't function with your day without it. You have to keep on going. Like you wake up in the morning, you because they're. I think they're chasing the high that they once had before, that they mm -hmm. want and. It's starting to get dangerous out in these streets because you never know what's coming out. And yeah, you start uh putting different things in you and you never know how strong it is. And let's say you hit that top high that you had before, your body can't mm -hmm. take it no more. And that's God forbid what happens with overdose. Yeah. So that's that a that's a, a scary thing. I smile yeah. because I feel uh, quite blessed that fentanyl and 
some of the other things that they mix street drugs with now was not a thing when I was using because I was I was a knucklehead. I was really dumb. So I would 100% be dead by now had that been the case because it is just such an unpredictable thing right now, which is 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 terribly sad. I consider myself very fortunate to make it out being as reckless as I was at the time. And you you hit on a really good thing where they typically won't get help until they want it. Like there's nothing necessarily that, that you can do for them. Um, to, to at least you can't do anything to change them. But the, the two things I think can turn things around for them is one, a rock bottom type situation. I, I hit a good rock bottom and I always tell people who are feeling kind of bummed out that rock bottom's way bouncier than you would think it is. Like if you hit your bottom and you start going up with any kind of momentum, like you're just going to keep on going because it feels so good compared to that so bad place. So being there for people when they hit that rock bottom or at a certain point, and this doesn't always, always pan out the way you want it to, but just always letting them know that you're going to be there for them when they need you because they may not hit an absolute rock bottom but they may just say man like i'm so glad Corey cares to me i know i can i can uh confide in him you know how much i'm hurting right now and that may be the sort of thing that helps them turn things around but but because before that like i said the pain was all inside but if they have a good friend to talk to and then possibly that good friend supports them into going into rehab or getting whatever type of help they they need. It's really important that they have some kind of support. So it's either you're there for them at the, the rock bottom or they just know that you're there for them and you'll listen. You know, you'll be a friend. You'll be a, a caring person for them. And we can also do this for people who don't even know us that well like you know you could do that for somebody in your community as well as we were talking about how baltimore can improve you know doesn't need to be somebody that you're related to or a best friend to to give them a a kindness or to care for them or to listen to them how you could really make somebody's day just by listening to them they're like man nobody's ever really listened to me like that going back to what coach west said about listening Okay, so um, <clears throat> you guys brought up some really good points when it comes to uh, this type of topic. And, and, and it's pretty touchy because um, as we already talked about, you know, before this, uh, this podcast started, um, I personally do have a brother that struggles with addiction, um, mm-hmm. very, very deep into drugs um, and definitely has changed his life as well as our relationship. Um, mm-hmm. and I feel like there's, I, I feel like there's this, there's this, uh, there's, there's this concept that needs to be, uh, explained for people that don't understand, um, what goes through the mind of someone that uses drugs or someone that has an addiction to anything, um, anything at all. You know? There's always something that you're chasing as a person, right? And like we already talked about, um, a lot of times people in Baltimore, they're really looking for an escape from reality first, um, as well as just 
a, a sense of love, a, a sense of understanding, a sense of peace. Um, and a lot of times that drug that they use gives them that sense of peace. Um, as we already know, peace comes with a, a, a price sometimes. And a lot of times when it comes to drugs, it, it's, it's not a good price. Well, it's not a good price at all, you know, when it comes to drugs. Mm -hmm. But really, really, I would say one of the, the, one of the biggest adversities that we have in the city of Baltimore is um, we don't we don't put a very big importance on first of all creativity, um, mm -hmm. and second of all just 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 being yourself, right? Um, I feel like when we don't when we don't give importance to being yourself and being you know, being unique and just being that person that is different from everybody else and just, you know, um, just basically giving that person the, the, the support system that they need um, to become the, the person that they want to become individually. I think that that sends people into a bad place. Um, that bad place, of course, leads to depression. Um, from depression, that goes to hopelessness. Um, hopelessness leads to whatever drug that they're using and you know alcohol and things of that nature. Um, I would say personally, um, dealing with my brother, um, I feel like he was just looking for a, a sense of uh, a sense of peace. There was a lot of things that were going on in his life, um, a lot of things that I didn't even know about myself, and they kind of boxed the you know he, he kind of boxed himself in you know because mm -hmm. he didn't feel like anybody would first of all want to listen to him. And he didn't feel like anybody really cared about anything that he had to say in the first place. So, mm -hmm. you know, when we give that, when we give people the, the leeway to be themselves, um, the leeway to be different, when we give people the leeway to be themselves and be unique, um, we give people that opportunity to you know, just, just feel love, you know, I feel like, mm -hmm. I feel like be, be, because of the person that he was, because of the things that he was interested in and the things that he did before his addiction, um, I feel like if, if, if my family, um, as well as the people that are around him gave him that support, you know, but behind the person that he was, I don't feel like he would have fallen into the, the situation that, you know, he's in now, you know, but sure. Another thing that we have to, that we have to basically single out is perseverance. Like Corey said, um, when it comes to things like this, you have to have the, the, the willpower and you have to have the want to get out of that situation. Right. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to perseverance, I think that that's the most important thing that a person can have. Um, Baltimore is full of, you know, problems, um, whether that's financially, um, whether that's depression, whether that's poverty, whether that's just, you know, just misunderstandings, not, you know, not a lot of love and things of that nature. It's a lot of negativity um, in the in, in the city of Baltimore, but it's also a lot of light. And if we show people that light, and we show people that if you persevere, you can get to this, 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 this world that we see, you know, all four of us see, 
um, where there's a lot of potential, there's a lot of uh, love, there's a lot of understanding, there's a lot of respect, and there's a lot of nurturing. I think people mm-hmm. will want to do that. You know, people will want to be a better, a, a better, you know, a better, a better version of themselves. You know, and mm-hmm. with perseverance, that just comes with be, be, becoming a better, you know, a better person, a better individual. And I feel like if we put a lot of importance on being unique, being yourself and, 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 and perseverance, I feel like we would, you know, be able to fix the problem that we have right now in this world. So I, I definitely think that there's a, a problem that can be fixed, um, but it, it, it takes patience because you have to be patient with people. You know, you just can't, you can't mm-hmm. rush a process as strenuous as, as, as this. Um, but when you take your time and you just, try to understand a person and give that person the opportunity to, you know, go through things and, and work things out themselves, mm-hmm. uh, as, as well as give them that support that they need to, you know, um, go, you know, finish that, finish that process. I, f- I feel like situations will be a lot better in this world and, and definitely in the city of Baltimore. I think another thing that just strengthens Baltimore and part of the reason I have hope is because people will see you walking the walk like you know it's fine to say it on a podcast uh but it's when you do it in real life that people really start to take notice and I would say that one of the most powerful things you can do is step into your your creativity into your perseverance into the openness of, you know, if at any point, like letting people know this isn't always easy, but it's always worth it. Your being a role model will help those around you in unspeakable ways. Like they may, it's a lot of times they don't even, we don't know how much our actions and our, our kind words have effects on the people around us, but it's, it's huge, man. So even you thinking this way, you and Corey, and Coach West thinking this way will expand out in a in a big, big positive way. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, I just wanted to be mindful of everyone's time uh, today. And Coach Jeff, I heard you say something about strengthen. So mm-hmm. my last question to you is what does strength mean to you? And, and you wanted to be respectful of time. You asked me the hardest, longest question. Um, that is a great question. So strength to me, I'll, I'll try and make it quick. So there's a, a concept called anti-fragile. And I'm just going to give you three examples of plants. And it's going to uproot. Sorry, bad plant joke. It's going to uproot how we think about strength a little bit. And I think that's important. So the three plants are a dandelion. Actually, no, that one, that's not a good one. A daisy, we'll go with a daisy and an oak tree and then bamboo. So a daisy, if you step on a daisy, it's a goner. It's not going to make it. So that's fragile, right? It's a beautiful thing. It's fragile. We almost love it a little bit more because it's that beautiful thing that is fragile. An oak tree is what a lot of people think of as strong. So an oak tree could 
could stand there for three, four, five hundred years. It could look very strong, and it is structurally strong. But when a big enough wind comes, it either blows over because the top's too big, or it snaps in half because it's grown too big, and it is essentially too hard. It's got the hardness, but it doesn't have any bend. So a big enough wind blows, or if enough water runs under it, it tips over. So what we thought was strong is, but that's also a part of its of its downside. Now, anti-fragile is bamboo or a palm tree because it is sturdy. It lasts for a long amount of time. If you ran your car into it, it would probably stop your car. But when hard winds blow, it actually gets stronger. So that's anti-fragile. And that is that is my goal of my own strength. So if I'm so super strong, let's say in the physical sense, and I go to, to you know, I've got a 500 pound deadlift, but when I twist to pick up something behind me, I pull out my back and I'm walking funny. I wasn't really strong, was I? I was, I, I was capable of doing something that's, looks like strength, but I wasn't anti-fragile. And the way I think about that fragility or that anti-fragility is just being able to bend without breaking. And I think that goes in physical strength, emotional strength, mental strength, community strength, where if any time we bend, we get stronger from it, that is my goal for true strength okay thank you thank you thank you that, that was a wonderful one that was probably the deepest one we probably ever had right now um there we go so you know here we are a big one family mission fit family and so we just want to end this off with a gratitude so just basically tell us something that you're thankful for today and we'll start with our guest coach jeff so let's start with yeah. you and go around to Zion West and me. All right. I I won't keep this short. I won't even try to because uh, you guys are worth me, me sharing the world's joy with. Uh, today, I'm grateful for you guys and your awesome, insightful questions. I'm grateful that you asked some questions that got me to know myself a little bit better because I hadn't considered everything we talked about as much as I thought I had. And for me, that's a gift. So I, I appreciate that gift. I'm grateful for the invention of the bass guitar, dark chocolate, my wife, my mom, and my dog, Mac. I'm first of all, grateful for being able to um, have the opportunity to talk, to talk with you guys, to have a discussion. Um, you know, it, it definitely opened my eyes to a few things, and uh, I learned a lot just talking to you guys today. Um, and I would say another thing that I'm grateful for is the opportunity to be open-minded. Um, just, you know, being able to soak up a lot of knowledge from you guys and just being able to understand different points of views of things and uh, just become wise. Cool to us. 
Yeah, I'm also just, I'm thankful for this conversation. This is awesome. I'm thankful for you two young men leading this conversation. Uh, I don't think you understand how much people like Jeff and myself learn from you every time we talk to you. And it is a blessing. And I'm also uh, blessed and grateful to have been on this chat with my friend Jeff. And because uh, I learned some things today about Jeff that I don't think I knew before. So it's always a blessing to be part of something like that. And I also am very happy for dark chocolate. So thank mm. you for saying that, Jeff. And your That's definition right. of strength actually reminded something, uh, reminded me of mm. something, not that anyone asked, um, but someone in a, I think it was in a board meeting recently, mm. uh, they brought up a quote that was, uh, blessed are the flexible for they shall not be bent out of shape. Hey, I Definition like it. Definition of strength made me think of that. But with that, I'll pass yeah. it off to you, Corey. Okay. So uh, my gratitude today, what am I thankful for is another call with Coach Jeff. I haven't talked to Coach Jeff in probably, I'd say, a year. And this is like, wow, I'm seeing him. I think I know. I saw you in person like two years ago. Was it two years ago? I think it was. Yeah. Like, uh, I came into, I visited twice and I did come into the Mission Fit Gym. It yeah. must not have been during lockdown, but I don't know. Time, time's flying these days. Yes, it is. So I would say I'm thankful for uh, seeing Coach Jeff here today. And also, I just learned a lot about uh, everyone here. And mm-hmm. I would say I'm thankful just to be here right now uh, and to sit here and conversate about these things to everyone. Yeah. One thing that I'm just, re- as we're wrapping up, I'm just realizing I'm grateful for one more thing. And that is something that is almost unheard of this day that is so normal to me, but is not normal to everybody. And that is that four young men, I'll lock myself in as a young man, four young men just met together and talked about their feelings, their difficulties, and their vulnerabilities together. And man, if we could normalize this, this is a fantastic thing. You know what I mean? This is how we become more anti-fragile. Just got the chills because this is, I take it for granted. This is just what I do with my people. But like, this is, this has been a a true blessing. And and I hope you guys just keep spreading it out into the world. Absolutely. 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 That's, um, That's definitely, a, a, I think, if uh, if we normalize that in our community, um, in any community around the world, um, I definitely think there's there's a lot of things that could be fixed and a lot of situations that could be made a lot better if we just, you know, just had a conversation, you know, so mm-hmm. definitely agree with that 100%. Awesome. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining. And with that, we can wrap up our first interview. Coach Jeff Blake.